truth about Jesus. We're following a series uh, here in Burlington looking at the truth of various key beliefs in the Christian faith and uh, life. This week we're going to look at Jesus just for a, a few moments together. Next week we're going to look at heaven. What on earth will heaven be like? Well, firstly, it won't be on earth, so it's a daft thing to say, but what will heaven be like? And how will you get there? And how will you know that you are there? And will you want to be there anyway? Next week, the truth about heaven. But this week, that very question that Jesus turned and asked his disciples. You know how sometimes a question takes you off guard? You don't expect it. Well, the disciples are wandering down the road and suddenly Jesus asks them quite a penetrating question. Hey, tell me, what do people say about me? Who do they say that I am? The same question today takes us off guard. We're not always sure how to answer. When people say, what about you? What do you think about Jesus? In fact, there are many different answers that we hear today to the question, who was Jesus? Last year I was speaking at a Samaritan's Perth staff uh, training day along with an evangelist called Steve Legg and he was telling us about his work in primary schools. One day he was in a primary school and he was teaching the children the story of Christmas, the birth of Jesus. And right in the middle of this story unfolding, one child put up his hand and said very seriously with a genuine tone of an inquirer, why on earth? did they give that baby a swear word for a name? So taken aback by the little boy's question, Steve Legg convicted that children were growing up with not a clue about who Jesus really is, that he produced a primary school's resource called It's a Boy. But what about you? What do you think? Because that's what Jesus went on to say, having listened to what the disciples gave as the answers about other people, Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Am, what do you think about Jesus? And you say, what on earth does it matter what I think about Jesus? It's a good question, but what does it matter? You might be right, you know. If Jesus was a good man, a religious man even, an excellent teacher or a miracle worker, then your opinion of him doesn't really matter. You might be interested by him. Lots of people, though, live in the end of the day. What you think about Jesus would not really matter. The thing about Jesus, though, is that he didn't claim for himself any of those roles. Jesus claimed for himself something quite outrageous. Something that no one else in history has ever claimed. And if true, matters not just a tiny bit, but matters more than anything. And if true, matters not just for a few people, but matters for everyone. What did he claim? Jesus claimed to have actually come from God and therefore the person able to take us back to God. I am the way, the truth and the life. How do you get to God the Father? Through me. In fact, no one gets to the Father except by me. When I was growing up in a church, we did these uh, community surveys. It was about us trying to find out about our community, but it was just about a a way of engaging with the people who lived in the streets and houses around our church. And the final question to the survey was always this. If you could know God personally, would you be interested? No one ever said no. Who would? If you could have a personal, meaningful, fulfilling, life-transforming relationship with God, who wouldn't be interested? Human relationships can be life-transforming. How much more so a relationship with God? 
Think about the change when someone falls in love. You get a new skip in your step, a new purpose for your journey. Your heart goes pounding, senses alert, hormones gushing, adrenaline flowing. A new relationship makes you extravagant, spontaneous, joyful. Some of you women are thinking, I didn't get a man like that. You didn't pray hard enough. You've heard the story. Up and down the country, there are bachelor pads where the washing up has not been done for six months. No power on earth can motivate the male species on their own to do something so mundane and boring as wash up. There is always something more interesting, so it never gets done. But one whiff of the possibility of the new girlfriend coming round and the kitchen is pot puree fresh before breakfast. You see, relationships change us. How much more if what was on offer was a real relationship with God? How much more would that change us? Jesus says, I've come to give you that very thing. Jesus said he was the one who can make this possible because he's the only one who's come from God And therefore, the only one who can take us back to him. It's an outrageous claim for a man, though, isn't it? And let's be clear, this is not some wacky version of Christianity. This is what Christians have believed down through the centuries. That God sent himself when Jesus came. And there are loads of verses through the Bible that talk about it. We haven't got time now to survey them, but you can look them up in your own time. His divine power, said Peter. Jesus wasn't just anybody, even though he was a man. They recognized that in him lay God himself. And Jude puts it even stronger. To the only God, talking about Jesus, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority. They began to talk about Jesus as if he was not just a man, but he was God himself. It's an outrageous thing, isn't it? For a man to claim that he was God himself. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what those around him did. And to be honest, it's totally unique on the world stage. People say, how how is Christianity different from any of the other religions? Well, in this way, it's very different. Such claims would never have crossed the mind of Buddha or Confucius. Muhammad would never have dreamed of claiming to share God's nature. For him, that would have been the most appalling blasphemy. He would probably have had the heretic killed. Yet Jesus claimed to be God himself. Come among us. C.S. Lewis, the English writer now of popular fame because of the, uh, the Narnia film, he says this about Jesus. He says, There is no halfway house and there is no parallel in other religions. If you'd gone to Buddha and asked him, Are you the son of Brahma? He would have said, my son, you are still in the veil of illusion. If you had gone to Socrates and said, are you Zeus? He would have laughed at you. If you'd gone to Muhammad and asked, are you Allah? He would first have rent his clothes and then cut off your head. It was a blasphemy. And yet Jesus' claim is that that's exactly who he is and who he was. A claim that is unprecedented on the world stage and a claim that is utterly outrageous to our common way of thinking. So why don't we just, why don't we just dismiss it? Why don't we just dismiss Jesus uh, and his his claims as a sheer fantasy? 
a local prophet calling himself the Son of God, the Savior of the world. It's fanciful. You see, when David Icke, the sports presenter, declared himself to be the Son of God a few years ago, we dismissed him and his claims without a second thought. We dismissed him without any difficulty at all. But we haven't done that with Jesus for 2,000 years. Why? Because it's really hard to dismiss him. It's hard to dismiss Jesus because he has had such a profound influence on our world. Today, more than one-third of the world's population profess to follow him. And no faith has ever had so many worshippers as Christianity. Today, people are believing in Jesus Christ at a rate of 100,000 a day. When your head hits the pillow tonight, there will be 100,000 more Christians in the world. If you surf the internet for the word Jesus, there will be over 2 million pages for you to look at. One film of his life called Jesus has been translated into 500 languages and seen by 1.3 billion people. It seems instead of his interest in him waning over the years, it's increasing. He painted no pictures, yet his finest, sorry, yet the finest paintings of Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci received their illumination from where? From Jesus. He wrote no poetry, yet Dante, Milton, and other great poets were inspired by him. He composed no music, yet Haydn, Handel, Beethoven, Bach reached their highest perfection in hymns and so on, composed in his honour. Quite simply, all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, put them all together and they have not had the same influence as this one single solitary life. Napoleon had ample time to think about all this when he was imprisoned or in exile. And he said, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne and myself have founded great empires. But on what did those creations of our genius rest? Upon force. Jesus founded his on love. This very day millions would die for him. I, Napoleon says, have inspired multitudes with enthusiastic devotion. They would die for me. But to do it, I had to present with my looks, my words, my voice. When I saw men and spoke to them, I lit up the flame of devotion in their hearts. But Jesus Christ, by some mysterious influence, even through the lapse of 18 centuries, so draws the hearts of men towards him that thousands at a word would run through fire and flood for him, not counting their lives dear to themselves. He's right. Jesus has been the inspiration for courage, generosity, and care for others. He's captivated the hearts of kings and peasants. He's captivated the intellectual and the illiterate all over the world. And down through the centuries, even under increased pressure, Christians have been reviled and persecuted, yet the faith has continued to grow. None of this makes what Jesus said true. But it makes it much harder if you're a thinking person simply to write Jesus off as some local prophet with delusions of grandeur. So is it true? Is it true? Well, it seems to me that there are only three responses that we can make to Jesus. Either he's a lunatic, he genuinely was deluded, he genuinely thought he was God's son, how mad can you be? Or he's a liar, He deliberately set out to deceive everyone. Or he's the Lord. Which is it? Lunatic, liar, 
or Lord? Think with me just for a few more moments about this question. Who is he? Lunatic, liar, or Lord? Think about his life for a moment, his teachings. His teachings are the most profound, most authoritative, most attractive teachings that the human ears have ever heard. His teaching has been the foundation of Western civilization. We are making advances in science and technology. We travel faster and further, and yet no one, both Christian and non-recognized, no one has improved on the teachings of Jesus. Was this a lunatic, a liar? Think about his miracles. It's true that human beings have done some pretty head-spinning stuff. We've seen shows where David Copperfield and others have made tall buildings disappear, turned tigers into Claudia Schaefer. Maybe that was just a dream of mine. I don't know, sorry, we'll move on. Or pulled rabbits out of hats. Sawn men in two. Even our own Nigel Head can saw men in two, would you believe? But sorry, Nigel, we know it's a trick. Somewhere there's a trap door, a mirror, an accomplice. But up which sleeve did Jesus put ten gallons of wine? And where did the water it replaced go? And if Jesus had just used a sleight of hand, a little food colouring, how come all the guests thought it was the best wine? In which false compartment did Jesus keep food for 5,000 men? And where was the special effects that turned the storms on and off? He healed sicknesses and crippling conditions under the scrutiny of those who'd lived with those people for many years. The guy who couldn't walk, the blind man who'd never seen. How did he walk on water and bring someone back from the dead whose body had already started to decay? How? If he was God, just a piece of cake. Well, a few loaves and fish, actually. And if all this was fabrication, why didn't Jesus' enemies, and there were plenty of those, why didn't his enemies simply say, no, we were there, it's wrong, that didn't happen. Never a word from them. There was a power about this man. Would a lunatic have such power, but keep it within such control? I doubt it. Would a liar have such power, but never use it for his own ends? Lunatic, liar, or Lord? His character, finally. Here was a man who exemplified supreme unselfishness, humility but not weakness, joy but never at another's expense. He was a man in whom his enemies could find no fault and his friends said they think he was without sin. His character has been the admiration of many. Listen to what Bernard Levin said, the late Bernard Levin, the columnist in the Times. He wasn't a Christian. But he said, is not the nature of Christ in the words of the New Testament enough to pierce to the soul anyone with a soul to be pierced? He still looms over the world, his message still clear, his pity still infinite, his constellation still effective, his words still full of glory, wisdom and love. That's a non-Christian speaking. Lunatic, liar or Lord. It's only one way, I guess, to describe someone who really believed they were God and who really believes they have authority to forgive sins and can give out free passes to heaven. A madman. A madman. There's a story of when Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister and she went to visit a psychiatric hospital. She introduces herself to one of the patients. Hello, I'm Margaret Thatcher. Don't worry, dear, came the reply. I felt like that when I came in too. (laughs) But that's the kind of person who thinks they are God. They most clearly aren't when they most clearly aren't. Stark, raving, mad. Does Jesus sound like a madman? 
Consider his poise and composure, weigh up the quality of his life and relationships, the skills and insights that he had in arguments with many different people. Measure the sheer richness of all he said and did. It's his life, so life-impacting for the rest of history. A lunatic? Well, maybe a liar. Maybe a liar. But let's face it, people who are bad lie for their own ends. Jesus' lie got him into trouble, and then more trouble, and then more trouble. He kept supposedly lying, and it got him into greater trouble still. Eventually, they nailed him to a cross, which was the most horrific form of death that human beings knew at the time. For a lie? Is it possible for such insight, wisdom, compassion, and goodness to come from a man so full of deceit? And so we're left with only one plausible possibility, I would suggest. And to many, the evidence is irrefutable. But Jesus made one last point in his life. He said, by all other things, test me by this. He said, on the third day, after my death, I will rise again. My resurrection will be proof to you that all that I've said about myself is actually true. And you see, when the authorities were uncorking their champagne, convinced that this upstart preacher was no more, he pops up again, here, there, everywhere, no longer dead, but walking, talking, even eating. Having been thoroughly executed and hermetically sealed, he's alive and in remarkable good health, beyond belief. Not for those who saw him, and not for the billions of people who've put their trust in him since. Historians see the resurrection of Jesus as one of the most authenticated events in ancient history. The evidence is that strong. We've got no time this morning to refute some of the modern theories about how he never died, how the disciples stole the body, how they hallucinated. All these are worth our time and our investigation. But think about this one thing. What changed those disciples from huddling underneath the crucified Jesus Huddled under the feet of their dying leader stood a ragtag of discouraged bunch of wannabes. It was all over. High hopes dashed. It was great while it lasted, but now he's dead. It's time to go back home and avoid all those people who would say, told you so. But something so galvanized those followers in their faith in Jesus Christ that that belief that he was alive swept through the whole of the Roman Empire. British journalist Mark Tully, who worked for the BBC, puts it like this. He revisited the scene of Jesus' life, interviewing people for a BBC uh, documentary. And he ended his documentary with his own view. He said, that man, talking about Jesus, was probably a failure in his own time. He taught in strange riddles, he didn't convince his fellow Jews, and he didn't overthrow Rome. From that failure, he says... I have come to what for me is the most important conclusion of all, that the hardest, apparently least historical article of Christian faith, the resurrection, must have happened. If there had been no miracle after Jesus' death, there would have been no grounds for faith in a failed life, no resurrection, no church. Lunatic, liar, or Lord. C.S. Lewis says we're faced then with a frightening alternative. A frightening alternative. The man we are talking about was and is just what he said, or else a lunatic or something worse. There is no in-between, he says. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept that the view 
that he was and is God. God has landed on this enemy-occupied world in human form. And if that's true, if that's true, your response to him is the most important thing you will ever do. Jesus says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. And that's exactly what he still does 2,000 years later. But at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. Let's stand and sing together.